Welcome to Seeking Jesus, a podcast for Latter-day Saints focused on learning all we can about Jesus Christ. This was originally designed as a video course. To see the visuals for this episode, please visit johnhiltonii.com slash seekingjesus. Let's start with the quiz. I'll ask you three true-false questions. Don't make this hard, just go with your gut. Question one, true or false? Jesus was nailed to the cross, and the thieves next to him were tied to their respective crosses. Question two, true or false? Christ on the cross was at least six feet higher than the onlookers at the cross. Last question, true or false? The scriptures speak of Christ being crucified on a hill called Calvary. We'll come back to these questions in just a moment, but first I want to highlight that this is our second class where we focus on ways to draw closer to Jesus Christ and to learn of Him. In the first class like this, which was the second class of the course, we talked about learning of Christ through living prophets, the scriptures, modern scholarship, and personal experiences. Today we'll focus on coming closer to Christ through artwork, movies, and music. These artistic media can help us connect with Jesus Christ in powerful ways. There is, however, a danger when it comes to learning of Christ through artwork, and it's that art is not always intended to mirror reality. Latter-day Saint artist Walter Rain said, I don't feel like as an artist, I have a responsibility to be historically accurate unless someone has commissioned me to do so. Art is self-expression. Art is communication. If I'm trying to express something that is important to me, I'll do whatever I want. If it means putting Christ in contemporary clothing or whatever, if it's important to the message I'm trying to make, then I'll do it. In other words, if we base our understanding of historical details on art, we might wind up with mistaken ideas. Here's a simple illustration of art influencing how we picture scriptural scenes. Imagine Abinadi in your mind. How old is he? What kind of physical shape is King Noah in? What kind of pet does King Noah have? Whatever answers you're giving are probably based on a painting because the Book of Mormon says nothing about Abinadi's age, King Noah's physique, or any of his pets. So let's return to the questions I asked you. True or false, Jesus was nailed to the cross while the thieves were tied with ropes. A lot of people say true, basing their answer on a Harry Anderson painting, which wasn't intended to portray crucifixion in a historically accurate manner. The Romans had various methods for crucifying people, including both nails and ropes. We know that Jesus was crucified with nails because of the marks of the nails still in his hands and feet as the resurrected Savior. It's technically possible that the thieves were crucified with ropes, but it seems strange that there would be a different method of crucifixion for them when all three individuals were being crucified at the same time. Our second question was about Christ being at least six feet higher than the onlookers at the cross. I remember watching a movie in which the crucifiers used a pulley system to hoist Christ high up on the cross. Media like this influence us to think of Christ as high off the ground when he was crucified. But on some days, the Romans crucified hundreds of people. Would they really build scaffolds and pulleys for all of them? Doubtful. The most ancient images we have of crucifixion depict the person being crucified as only being a little bit shorter than the cross itself. In other words, if the average person in Galilee was five and a half feet tall, crosses would be about six or seven feet tall. That changes the way you view a crucifixion. It's not that Jesus is way up in the distance talking to people down below. They're at eye level. When Christ talks to his mother at the cross, he's looking at her and she's looking at him almost face to face. Our third question had to do with whether the scriptures speak of a hill 
on Calvary. You're probably noticing the trend. The answer to this question is also false. Although our beloved hymn says, we'll sing all hail to Jesus' name and praise and honor give to him who bled on Calvary's hill and died that we might live. The scriptures don't say anything about Calvary being a hill. That idea is a later Christian tradition, not scriptural. What I've tried to show is that artwork, movies, and music can change the way we picture scriptural scenes. That's not to say that they're bad, but rather to remind us that they are influencing us. And sometimes we need to do fact-checking for historical accuracy. Although this is a challenge, it doesn't need to detract from the many things we can learn and feel from artistic media. I also appreciate the variety media can bring to our focus on Christ. I love studying the scriptures. At the same time, there's a limit to how much scripture study a person can do on a given day. Studying the Savior through these other mediums provides additional avenues to focus on the Savior. And ultimately, that's the goal. President Russell M. Nelson taught, nothing invites the Spirit more than fixing your focus on Jesus Christ. My hope is that our discussion today will give you ideas of additional ways to focus on our Redeemer. Before we go farther, I need to give you a heads up. This class is very visually oriented, and so I've had to make several changes for the podcast version. I'll refer to artwork and video clips and music that I can't share on the podcast, but I was able to include on the video version. If you go to YouTube and search Seeking Jesus Class 14, you can find a fuller version of this episode that includes multimedia. But for now, let's start with artwork. Sometimes art can help us want to learn more about a scriptural moment. For example, consider these images of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. In Matthew 17, we learn that Jesus brought Peter, James, and John to a mountain. We read, Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with him. Joseph Smith taught that at the Mount of Transfiguration, priesthood keys were given to Peter, James, and John. Later, Peter, James, and John came to restore the priesthood in modern times. So what's being portrayed in the picture on the right is important to theology in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the artwork invites us to learn more about it. Another benefit of art is that it gives us an opportunity to feel what is being portrayed. I love this image of Christ healing the son of the widow of Nain. As Jesus approached the village, he saw a funeral possession. A widow's only son had died. One thing that's unique about this story is that the woman doesn't ask Jesus to help her. The Savior initiates contact. Luke records, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. Can you see those words applying to you? Jesus sees you, has compassion on you, and doesn't want you to weep. Christ raised the woman's son from the dead, showing us how Christ reaches out, even in our most desperate circumstances. This art helps us see the emotion that the widow and those who were with her must have felt. The scriptures don't go into detail about how all the people present were affected by this miracle, but this painting helps us visualize their reactions. When it comes to artwork portraying Jesus Christ, we have literally centuries worth of powerful examples. Consider a painting from the 15th century. Here, the artist focuses us on Christ's crucifixion and in particular on the wound from his side. While this is a moment that some of us might not want to carefully consider, the author of the Gospel of John felt it was of great importance. Note these words. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, 
and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. Note the repetition emphasizing that blood and water really came forth from the Savior's side. Christ's wounded side offers us the hope of becoming a new creation in Jesus Christ. The Greek word used for Jesus' side is also used to refer to Adam's rib in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Just as Adam's side was a key symbolic part of creation, the wound in Jesus' side is a symbolic token of our rebirth in him. We find additional significance in Christ's side being pierced in the Savior's declaration, If anyone thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The blood and water pouring from Christ's side provide everlasting life to all who come unto him. Pondering in artistic scenes such as this one can provide rich spiritual insight. There are literally tens of thousands of images we could learn from. If you'd like to see more examples of Christ-centered art, see the course website. As I began to explore artwork related to the Savior, I started to wonder, how does the earliest artwork of Jesus depict him? What is, in fact, the earliest image we have of Jesus Christ? As far as scholars can determine, the earliest datable image we have of Jesus comes from about the year 230 AD. It's a fresco from a church in Syria. It's an image of Jesus as the good shepherd. He's wearing a short tunic and carrying a lamb. Other early images of Christ follow the same pattern. A painting dating to about 250 AD in a catacomb in Rome shows Jesus also as the good shepherd. Same with the statue in 280 AD. Jesus said that he was the good shepherd and the earliest artwork of Jesus commemorates that. In John chapter 10, we read, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep." I can imagine someone living in about 250 AD seeing these images and thinking of Jesus as the good shepherd who laid down his life and feeling connected with him. Note that these early images feature a young Jesus wearing a short tunic and no beard. That's different from our standard image of Jesus. Today and for several centuries, a standard image of Jesus shows him wearing long robes and having long hair and a beard. We might ask ourselves, is that an accurate portrayal of the Savior? I remember when I was growing up, some of the older boys at church would grow their hair long and their moms would say, you've got to cut your hair. And the boys would say, no, Jesus had long hair. I'm trying to be like Jesus. I always thought, well, that's the end of the discussion. Of course, we should try to be like Jesus and he has long hair. But did the average Jewish male at the time of Christ have long hair? Just two decades after Jesus, the apostle Paul writes, doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. To be clear, I'm not trying to make any statements about modern hairstyles. My point is that however we got to a long-haired Jesus, it's probably not historically accurate. Styles can change, but if Paul is saying it's shameful for men to have long hair two decades after Jesus, Jesus was probably not walking around with long hair. So what did Jesus really look like? A scholar named Joan Taylor wrote a great book on this subject. She says the average Galilean male was probably around 5 feet 5 inches tall, somewhat slim and reasonably muscular with olive brown skin, dark brown to black hair, and brown eyes. 
He was likely bearded, but not heavily or with a long beard, with shortish hair. Anthony Sweat has painted a more historically accurate Jesus, showing what a first century Galilean might have looked like. It's worth asking ourselves the question, is trying to accurately portray Jesus's physical appearance in artwork important? Why or why not? Some have suggested that it is important to help us better see the human side of Christ. Joan Taylor wrote that picturing Christ accurately, including his clothing, is helpful because clothing is connected to what people value. In many pictures of the Savior, Jesus is portrayed as wearing long robes. But Jesus taught, beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts. This seems to indicate that Jesus did not wear long robes. He criticizes those who do. Long robes might suggest expensive clothing, and Jesus didn't have a lot of money. Joan Taylor writes, Jesus aligned himself with the poor, and this would have been obvious from how he looked. The appearance of Jesus matters because it cuts to the heart of his message. However he is depicted in film and art today, he needs to be shown as one of the have-nots. His teaching can only be truly understood from this perspective. Thus, in some circumstances, it's helpful to have a portrayal of Jesus as a first-century Galilean to accentuate his humanity and his teachings. On the other hand, art is more than historical accuracy. Consider the value of depicting Jesus in racially diverse ways. Artist Achille Anderson created a portrayal of a black Jesus at the Last Supper, gathered around with black disciples. Commenting on this artwork, which was placed in a church building, Anderson said, I think it's important for black children sitting in churches all over this country on Sunday morning to look up at the windows, look up at images, and see themselves, and believe that they can ascend to heaven too. One author wrote, To understand African portrayals of a black Christ, one should realize that there is no intention of suggesting that Jesus, the Jew who lived in Palestine in the first century, was actually a black African. What is being expressed is the connection perceived in African Christian faith between Jesus, the universal Savior, and black people. What is being portrayed is the loving solidarity of Christ, who identifies in love with all people, black people included. As another example of racially diverse depictions of Christ, a Latter-day Saint woman from Cambodia painted an image of a Cambodian Jesus reaching out to and blessing Cambodian children who surround him. Jesus wasn't Cambodian, he wasn't black, and he wasn't a white European. Artists will portray the mortal Christ differently in ways that connect with them, their culture, or their background. In the year 2020, the leader of the church in England addressed the issue of how their church portrays Jesus's race. He said that in many locations of the Anglican church, Jesus was already represented other than as a white man. You go into their churches, he said, and you don't see a white Jesus. You see a black Jesus or Chinese Jesus or Middle Eastern Jesus, which is, of course, the most accurate. You see a Fijian Jesus. You see Jesus portrayed in as many ways as there are cultures, languages, and understandings. Regardless of whether an image is historically accurate, we can see beauty in diverse depictions of Jesus reaching out and connecting with each one of us, wherever and whoever we are. Take a moment to think about artwork in your life. Could exploring artwork centered on the Savior strengthen you spiritually? Could you have more Christ-centered artwork on your phone, your computer? Could your home include more Christ-centered artwork? How could you come closer to Christ through art? Well, we can have a whole semester course on Jesus and artwork, probably multiple courses, but let's shift now to movies 
and we could have an entire course just on Jesus at the movies. Hollywood has had a lot to say about the Savior. My first memory of watching a movie about Jesus is as a 19-year-old in the Missionary Training Center. A large group of missionaries gathered to watch The Lamb of God. As I saw the Savior nailed to the cross, the Spirit washed over me and testified to me that what I was seeing really happened. I'm embarrassed to say this, but for many years, the only movies about Jesus that I was really aware of were those produced by the church. The church has made some great films about the Savior, but they're only the tip of the iceberg. Lately, I've been talking with more and more people who are familiar with The Chosen, and I love that show. In addition to The Chosen and the movies produced by the church, there are many, many more. If you go to the website for this course, you can link to many movies about Christ. As we've already discussed, movies, like art, can significantly influence how we think about Jesus. My colleague Matt Gray wrote the following. When I started teaching courses on the New Testament at BYU, I quickly found that a careful and historically contextualized reading of the Gospels often challenged the preconceived notions many students have about Jesus, including his appearance, demeanor, and relationship to early Judaism, as well as the cultural world in which he lived. As I would ask students what informed their previous assumptions, the most common response indicated that they were influenced by the ways in which Jesus is depicted in art or in the movies. So keep that in mind with whatever movies you see about the Savior. While movies aren't the gospel truth, they can be helpful in getting us to realize things about the Savior, and noticing contrasts between a movie and a scripture is a helpful way to find new insights. Dr. Gray notes, For me, placing Jesus films, the New Testament text, and historical sources into thoughtful conversation has prompted valuable questions that I might not otherwise have asked about a wide range of issues, including Jesus's appearance, personality, teachings, and ongoing social relevance, as well as the nature of scriptural writings. Often these questions come as I find myself wondering why film directors made certain decisions, how I might have presented things differently as a believing historian and what the implications of those decisions might be for the spiritual experience of the viewers. I often find that asking those type of questions facilitates richer inspiration as a teacher, academic insights as a scholar, and spiritual experiences as a believer, all of which have been a great blessing in my personal efforts to get to know Jesus better. I think this models a great approach to watching films about the Savior. Sometime, you might try reading a passage of scripture on your own and then watching different video portrayals of that scene. For example, consider what Christ says in John chapter 5, verse 42. I know that you do not have the love of God in you. If you were making a film version of this, how would you portray Christ saying these words? One of my favorite movies about Jesus is called The Gospel of John. And this movie version has Christ sharing these words in a fairly aggressive tone of voice. I've watched this movie with some people who have said, that is totally inaccurate. Jesus does not talk or act like that. And they could be right. I'm not claiming that the movie is accurate. But it can give us a perspective to think about. Often film depictions of Jesus show him healing, loving a child, holding a butterfly. And then we wonder, how could anyone want to kill him? A scene such as this one, when Jesus says, you have no love of God in your hearts. That helps us understand the confrontations that occur between Jesus and the Jewish authorities. After all, how do you say a phrase like that nicely? Now, my point isn't about the tone of voice Jesus used in John chapter 5. It's just that watching movies about the Savior can maybe help us think about Him in different ways and open our eyes to different possibilities of how Christ might have or have not said a specific phrase. 
If you get the chance to watch the video version of this class, you can see a series of different video clips portraying the miracle of Christ turning water into wine. It's fun to see different cinematic portrayals of the same scene and then to feel the ideas that they can spark in our own hearts. Think about how movies could help you connect with Christ. Could watching movies centered on the Savior strengthen you spiritually? We are all busy people. How could we carve out some time in our schedules to watch movies about Jesus? In addition, are there ways we could help others draw closer to the Savior by watching Christ-centered movies with them? Let's turn to music. Do you remember how at the Last Supper, just before leaving to Gethsemane, Christ and his disciples sang a hymn? Music can strengthen us in difficult times. We don't know what hymn they sang that night, but scholar Eric Huntsman wrote, This was likely one of the so-called Hallel Psalms, which are traditionally sung at joyful holidays, especially Passover. The focus of these psalms in blessing the Lord, trusting in Him, and crying for salvation fit the occasion, both of Passover generally and of Jesus' passion in particular. Imagine if these words from Psalm 113 were part of the hymn that was sung at the Last Supper. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. What might the Savior have felt singing those words on that night? He had come from the heavens to raise the poor from the dust and to lift up each one of us. Music strengthened Christ before Gethsemane, and it can surely strengthen us as well. Recently, I've been thinking about the song, If the Savior Stood Beside Me. Some of the lyrics say, If the Savior stood beside me, would I do the things I do? If the Savior stood beside me, would I say the things I say? When I first heard that song, I thought of the lyrics as saying, Thinking about having Jesus next to you will help you avoid bad choices. But lately, I've been thinking about that song from a different perspective. Imagine you've just experienced a devastating loss. If the Savior were standing beside you in this difficult time, how might that change what you do, say, and feel? Like Scripture, sacred music can touch our hearts and help us through difficult times. Music can also be a catalyst for feeling the Holy Ghost. The first time I remember feeling the Spirit is when I was a young child and I heard a woman sing, I heard him come. My guess is that you've also had experiences in your life where music has helped you directly connect to the Savior. There's a long history of worshiping Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ through music. There weren't very many movies about Jesus back in the days of Moses, but in Exodus 15 we read, I will sing unto the Lord. A few centuries later, Psalm 9 talks about singing praises to the Lord. Note this powerful passage from Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Or in the modern day, the Lord has said, My soul delighteth in the song of the heart. Yea, the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me. The Christian theologian St. Augustine, writing about 400 A.D., commented on the Christian worship music of his day. He said, I realize that when they are sung, these sacred words stir my mind to greater religious fervor and kindle in me a more ardent flame of piety than they would if they were not sung. And I also know that there are particular modes in song and in the voice corresponding to my various emotions and able to stimulate them because of some mysterious relationship between the two. I don't understand exactly how that mysterious relationship works, but there definitely is power in spiritual music. 
In our day, President Russell M. Nelson has talked repeatedly about the importance of sacred music. At the 2021 Youth Music Festival, he said, Good music has amazing power. It has had a profound influence on my life, and it can on yours too. It has lifted my spirit during sad days, and it has helped me to feel joy in other times. I've used music to praise our Heavenly Father and to worship our Savior. I've also found that listening to uplifting music is one of the best ways to feel the Spirit and hear the voice of the Lord. We've heard some wonderful music today. I hope it has strengthened your love of Jesus Christ and increased your desire to take part in His great work. I also hope it has helped you feel connected to hundreds of thousands of others like you. In context, President Nelson was speaking at an event where youth around the world had gathered together to hear sacred music. And I love how he describes his hope that listening to music together has connected them. That same idea is present if we think across the centuries of Christian music. For example, our hymn book contains the hymn, Jesus, the very thought of thee. The lyrics are about a thousand years old. When we sing this hymn, we're not just singing with the people in our congregation. We are singing with millions and millions of people across the centuries who have sung these same words. One word that's been used in song throughout the centuries is hallelujah, which you probably know means praise the Lord. For example, in Psalm 106, we read, Praise ye the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. The Hebrew phrase translated as praise ye the Lord is essentially hallelujah. This word appears in ancient music, traditional hymns, as well as contemporary Christian songs. Remember that the next time you sing or say the word, hallelujah. Copyright rules prevent me from playing lengthy music clips, but it's clear that for centuries, music has been helping people draw closer to Christ. There are medieval chants about the Savior and classical works like those by Bach or Mozart or Handel. Many of us are familiar with traditional hymns, which are a powerful way to connect with Christ. The Sacred Music app produced by the church has some great modern rendition of hymns, as well as other contemporary music produced by the church. I also love the broader genre of contemporary Christian music. Recently, I've been listening to modern Christian music in Spanish and Portuguese. As I was watching a YouTube video of a Christian song in Spanish, there were millions and millions of views, and I looked and saw thousands of comments in Spanish testifying of belief in Jesus Christ. It was a reminder to me that I'm part of a global Christian community. If you go to the course website, I've created a page where you can explore several different genres of Christ-centered music composed throughout the centuries. One young adult recently wrote me the following. To further focus my studies on Christ, I decided to work on being more intentional with my music. And I've seen the most incredible change just in the past few weeks. I feel like I'm always listening to music. And although it's never bad music, it's never particularly brought me closer to Christ. As I've been focusing on Christ-centered music, I've been able to see God's hand in my life more. I can recognize the promptings of the Spirit better. And I am just overall more peaceful and genuinely happy. That's the power of Christ-centered music. Again, take a moment to think about application. I'm guessing you already have a good Sunday playlist. Is there a way to tweak that to have a playlist that's specifically focused on Jesus Christ? Could exploring a variety of genres of Christ-centered music help you draw closer to the Savior? We talked about diversity in artwork, and the same principles can apply to music. Today, we've discussed connecting with Christ through artwork, movies, and music. My hope is that there's something that got you excited, that you're thinking, ooh, I'd love to watch that movie, or I could get into that kind of music, or I'd love to explore more artistic depictions of Jesus Christ. 
I personally have found myself drawing closer to Christ through artwork, movies, and music. And I hope the same thing will continue to be true for each of us. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you'll rate this podcast and leave a review. It makes a difference. This course is more than a podcast. There are several additional elements, including readings, PowerPoints, and other learning resources. These are all freely available at johnhiltoniii.com slash seekingjesus. We hope to see you there.